Hey, um, great to have you here this morning. I'd like to especially welcome you for those of you visiting for the first time. Uh, I reckon there's a reason you're here. I reckon God knows it. And uh, hopefully in the next 25, 30 minutes, you'll be a bit more clearer than you were when you first walked in. But it's great to have you here. We've actually been talking since we launched into 2015 around the story of David and Goliath. And this video very much kind of uh, gives a modern day uh, little kind of snapshot of that story. But the David and Goliath story is a really interesting one in that it's actually made its way into the mainstream zeitgeist. Even non-churchy people kind of know there's a story, even if they don't know all of the specifics, about these characters, David and Goliath. In fact, last year, Malcolm Gladwell, one of the premier uh, business authors, wrote a book around the story for business around the story of David and Goliath with, without even bothering taking it on a kind of a God churchy spin. There's a lot of lessons to be drawn from this story of David and Goliath. And as we've launched into 2015, we're, we're, we're drilling down into this story, this, this encounter, and learning some lessons, learning some lessons and teaching five secret weapons. Although, by the way, those of you that were here the 4th of January will know and you were privy to the fact that we snuck in an extra secret weapon. So there's actually a bonus secret weapon. And for those of you that were here, it's no longer a secret. You can, you'll be happy to know, listen to our podcast and find out what the bonus secret is. But this is our fourth week, drilling down into this story of David and Goliath. And, and we're not studying so that we can just learn uh, facts about a story, uh, f- learn more about history. We're actually studying it because in this story are some lessons, are some principles, are some, some weapons that you and I can actually take a hold of to ensure that 2015 is a progression from 2014. God's not about us doing laps. God's about us progressing. And uh, there's some things that we might have to do different in 015 to ensure progress over 014. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll come to that today. But let me catch you up on the story so far. So David, one of the central characters in this story, uh, was a young teenage boy, probably 12, 13, was the youngest of his uh, multiple uh, brothers. And uh, God sent a prophet, a prophet, someone that speaks on behalf of God. God sent a prophet, a dude named Samuel, to go to this family and inspect all of the brothers and, and said that, that one of those brothers was going to take over as the king of Israel. Now, the king at the time is a guy named Saul. And Saul, he started out as a rock star king, but actually started disobeying God. And the slippery slope that he was on caused God to think, yeah, we're going to have to shift gears and appoint a new king. So ahead of time, Samuel went to Jesse, uh, this dude, checked out his uh, sons, all the brothers, and picked the least likely of them to ultimately become the king of Israel. But he didn't become the king of Israel straight away. He got tapped on the shoulder and got a promise that he'd become the king of Israel. But what's interesting is before that very moment in history, David's job was a part-time shepherd looking after his old, man, old man's sheep. Not a very glamorous job, not a high-paying job, but he got plucked from the obscurity of the field, brought before Samuel, the prophet of the king. Samuel tapped him, said, you're going to be, God said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And the next step for David was to go back to keep looking after the sheep, which doesn't kind of make sense because he's become, he's become identified as the king, but, he, but everything in his life remained exactly the same about that. And one of the things before we move on, I want to remind you, sometimes God's promise doesn't come with an initial change in circumstances. 
Some of you are going to face the exact same set of circumstances you thought you left behind in 2014. And you, and you were hoping that January was going to come with the promotion. But sometimes God wants to keep you in the same circumstances because there's a preparation that has to come before the promotion. And if you don't do the preparation, you're not going to be equipped for the promotion. And God's not a God who wastes stuff. So he's not going to give you the promotion if you haven't done the preparation. Kapish. However, what you need to understand is while you're doing the preparation and your circumstances don't seem to be changing, one of the things you need to know is that God has promised you promotion. God has promised that circumstances will change. And if, if he has, if he's spoken a word of promise to you, then hang on to that promise even if you haven't yet experienced the promotion. Okay? You got that? This is all free stuff. Well, just, you know, I didn't even have this in my notes. This is all free stuff. It's cool. Free stuff. Who doesn't love free stuff? Okay, so then while David was back uh, out with the sheep, he, you know, kind of lonely, boring sheep. Sheep don't talk much and they're a bit daft. So he, he got good at playing the harp. And uh, Saul, Saul was having some issues, uh, psychological issues, and, and he, he, he wanted someone to come and kind of kind of play music, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, I, I said like a Barry White character, but it's not quite like that, but just kind of play some background music in the court of the king, and, 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 and Saul understood that music can actually have a very soothing effect, and so his servant, Saul, the king's servant, said, well, there's this kid, he's a part-time shepherd named David, He's actually got a reputation for he can really riff it out on the harp. Maybe we bring him in. So that's what happened. David kept a part-time shepherd's role, but also now was a part-time um, jazz muso for the king. And he would play sort of nights and weekends in the king's palace. All right, so that's happening. Now, then, this is all history. It's just a timeline. In history, uh, Israel was God's chosen people. And uh, one of the other nations of the day is a, a nation called Philistia. And Philistia were enemies of the nation of Israel. And at this particular point in time, Philistia had decided they were going to actually go to war with Israel. Pick a fight. They weren't just enemies in principle. Now it was going to be on. And so out in the valley uh, between the two, the two nations, Phil the Philistines stood on one side and the Israelites stood on the other. But rather than go kind of, you know, Lord of the Rings style and just kind of run en masse into the valley and, you know, blood and guts and limbs everywhere and, you know, the person with the least amount of casualties wins, they decided to do something that was known as representative combat. And that is instead of en masse, they would each pick a warrior to go one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano, with someone from the other nation. And whoever won that battle, sparing the bloodshed, in principle won and the other nation would have to submit to them. So Philistia chose their guy, a guy named Goliath, the, 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 the most credentialed, ominous uh, warrior from Philistia. Different historians uh, tell you how big he was, somewhere between seven and nine feet. I don't know if it was seven. I don't know if it was nine. All I know is he wouldn't have enjoyed flying economy, okay? The point is, he was big, all right? And the nation of Israel... We're on the other side, and, 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 and nobody volunteered for this representative combat to take on Goliath. Goliath, for 40 consecutive days, would step in front of the, the, his own nation of Philistia and taunt the Israelites, God's chosen people. And none of them took the bait. They were all too chicken. David, by the way, meanwhile, the future king, meanwhile, is back tending his old man's sheep. And his old man says, listen, here's some bread, some cheese. 
go and deliver these to your brothers on the front line of battle. David was too young to be in the army at that point. So he was kind of left uh, with the family farm. But his old man wanted to check on how the brothers were doing, send them a little uh, you know, care package uh, on the front lines. And uh, so that was David. David was given that job. So off he trotted to take that on. Now, just to recap, we've learned a few lessons so far in the last three weeks. We learned that we are anointed. When God actually gives us an assignment, he actually gives us the power to accomplish that assignment. The churchy word is anointed. Not only does he give us the power, he actually also gives us the gifts. God calls us to do something, he gives us the gifts. But we have to develop the gifts. They don't come, they come batteries included, that's the power, but they don't come fully assembled like Ikea furniture. The third week, last week, we talked about the importance of attitude. That attitude matters, and particularly passion. That ho-hum doesn't get it done when it comes to achieving the assignment God has given us. So passion matters. I want to talk about a fourth A word this morning, and the word is approach. Now, we're going to read a whole, whole, whole lot of this from the Bible, from the, what's called the first uh, book of Samuel, chapter 17. Now, we're going to put on the screens if you're not ready, but if you have your smartphone uh, or your Android phone, you can actually open that up right now. That one was for good or for free. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 26. Here's the story as it was recorded. David, who was talking to the men standing around him. So, so David's gone to the front line. He's, he's got the, the bread and cheese. He hears about that the, there's something happening down in the battle. And instead of staying at the supply tent, he told the, the warehouse, dude, you look after the bread and cheese. I'm going to go and find out what's happening. So David goes to the front line and starts, starts uh, sticking his nose in stuff, asking questions. Talking to the men standing around him, he asks, what's in it for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Now, uh, the, the promise, King Saul had actually said, if anybody defeats this guy, Goliath, he gets two um, prizes. The first prize is he gets to marry my daughter. So you assume his daughter's got it going on. I mean, you know, like if she was the ugliest girl in town, this would not be an incentive, right? So she's obviously, she's obviously that and a bit more. Um, and, and he also said that uh, he doesn't, the, 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 the conqueror of Goliath won't have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. Now, that's pretty good, aren't they? Don't expect free health cover either, by the way. But anyway, that's another story for another time. Who does he think he is anyway? David screams, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive. Well, they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine, uh, uh, daughter and tax-free living. Eliab, David's older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? (laughs) I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. Yeah, nice to see you too, bro. You can stick your friggin' bread and cheese and I'll tell you where. You know, it's like, huh. So his brother is, is, is ripping into him. Mate, what are you doing? Are you going to business being here? You're his little teenage sheep herder. Bugger off. And what I want to do today is I'm going to show you three things that the devil does 
to actually try to pass block us fulfilling our destiny. The first thing he does is he actually accuses us of stuff. He actually gets up in our grill and starts trash-talking us. David, who do you think you are? And I wonder how many times the devil's said that to you. Who do you think you are? Yeah, you think you can get out of debt and live financially free? You can't. You've always been broke and you always will be. Who do you think you are leading people, leading people at Elevate Church? You couldn't even hold your marriage together. Who do you think you are telling me you got a promise from God and you can do something great for him? I know your family history. See, we need to understand that the enemy, the devil, always attacks what God anoints because he wants to short-circuit it. He doesn't want us to fulfill the assignment God's given us. So he'll get in here a lot of the time. A lot of the time, the battle isn't our circumstances. A lot of times, the battlefield that we fight the devil in is in the mind. Yeah? I recommended a couple of books two weeks ago. One of them is this book here, Making Habits, Breaking Habits. It was one of the best-selling books in 014. Uh, the writer of this is a psychologist, and I was listening to a podcast interview of him uh, last week, and he, and he, and he, and he mentioned that, that, that studies, I, don't, I really don't know how they measure this stuff, studies indicate that we speak in our minds an average of about 50,000 words per day. And on average, 70% of those words are negative words. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the heartbeat of God. Negative words, negative self-talk. Often the battlefield is in the mind. Now, I'll give you a little preview. Not next week, but the week after, we're going to launch a new conversation called Crash the Chatterbox. The devil's the chatterbox. He wants to get inside your head. And we're going to stick it to him. I'm going to teach you how. Going into 014, 015. What year is it? 8th of February. And it's not a coincidence. Oh, what a coincidence that this follows on neatly from David and Goliath's story. It's not a coincidence. Did anyone think that was a coincidence? That's not a coincidence. We build according to a plan. Duh. You know, want to build a new house? Builder comes along. Oh, what do you want me to build? I don't know. Just make something up. Whatever you think's good. No. Yet that's how some people want to build their faith. Ah, whatever. You know, I'll be here on a Sunday, three weeks away. Change churches every year. Read my Bible, you know, a couple of times. Yeah, all right, well, great. Don't ever invite me to your house, because if that's how you build your house, like you build your faith, I ain't going under that roof. But here's David's brother, Eliab, accusing him. Have you ever actually been accused by somebody who you were actually trying to assist? It's horrible. Horrible. We've got a girl in our world that we've been investing into for the last few months. And uh, uh, she, she uh, came out of a heroin addiction about four years ago. And unfortunately, uh, in the last six months, she's relapsed. And uh, one particular uh, day, she texts Louie, my wife, texts Louie, hey, you know, can you, can you come over and look after my three-year-old boy? Because I've just uh, injected and I don't want him in the house with me unsupervised while I'm writing this thing out, whatever that looks and feels like. 
It was a Saturday morning, so Louis, you know, went over. And for five hours, this girl, the mom, who just injected, for five hours, she threw hurtled accusations at Louis. You don't love me. You don't. And Louis took five hours of her Saturday morning to look after her kid. And ever been accused by someone that you're trying to assist? Parents of teenagers know what this feels like. I like David's spunk, though. What is it with you? <laughs> Replied David. All I did was ask a question. <laughs> now, don't, ignore, don't miss this. Ignoring his brother. Some of you should be highlighting that right now. Ignoring his brother. He turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before. Saul's daughter in marriage and tax-free living. You know, going into 2015, some of you, instead of working on your arguing skills, you need to work on your ignoring skills. Now, I'm talking about the devil, who's going to be the chatterbox in your mind, trying to accuse you of stuff, and you need to practice your ignoring skills. I call it learn to turn. Right from that little pivot that David did. Just learned to turn. He didn't even try to shake his brother down. He just turned. Learned to turn. When the devil's, the chatterbox, accusing you of stuff, just learn to turn. It can also work in relationships as well. You've got a colleague that just drives you nuts by accusing you of all sorts of stuff. Sometimes you just got to learn to turn. Don't improve your arguing skills it's hard to beat a moron at an argument anyway because you try to hit it with rational approach and they don't understand what the hell you're talking about don't look at me like you, i'm the only person that thinks of this stuff i just say what you're already thinking but see what we're about to see is david at that point turning away from his brother he didn't actually abandon his assignment he just said to his brother hey mate can I speak to the manager? Because I'm aware that you don't run the store. Right? Sometimes that's what we need to do when the devil starts getting inside our brains and starts accusing us of stuff. Hey, mate, save it. I'd like to speak to the manager because you're not running the store. So you know God in that particular metaphor is the manager. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. Master, said David. And they knew each other. David had you know, been his uh, musician for hire. Don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight the Philistine. Okay. If you don't know how this story ends, then this part of the story is incredibly puzzling. All right? So put yourself in Saul's pre-reading the book of Samuel on his uh, iPhone days. Okay. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight the, this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been in this fighting business since you were born. So the devil not only accuses us of stuff that's not true, but he actually also often belittles us. But here's what's important to understand. Saul was belittling David, but actually he wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. 
David, you're too young and inexperienced. Fact. David, Goliath's been at this fighting business since you were born. Fact. But just because it's fact doesn't mean it doesn't keep us defeated. Often it can still keep us defeated. The devil tries to belittle us. What, what, what sort of your two dot, dot, dot things has the devil ever said to you? And be on your guard for what sort of your two dot, dot, dot things he's going to say to you this year. Right? Your two what? They could very well be facts, but the intent is to belittle you. The intent is to keep you down. The intent is to keep you staying defeated. Thankfully, with God, and I said this week one, the way it seems isn't always the way it is. Yeah, it seems I'm too young and inexperienced. But then David rips out his CV, gets up in King Saul's grill, starts pimping his credentials. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Oh, that really had Saul there. Oh, you had me at sheep. Yeah? Nah. Whenever a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. I've highlighted that bit in my Bible. Because I want to be known as somebody that goes after it. That when God calls me to something, I want people to say of Mark Pomery, I tell you what, he doesn't always get it right. But he sure knows how to go after it. He doesn't leave anything on the table. He ain't going to die wondering. Nobody's going to accuse him of living la vida lazy. What about you? Opposition's going to come. Did you, did you back into a corner? Put on your whingy pants. Oh, the whole world's against me. Or did you go after it? It's going to be a question that you're going to have to answer. And, and, and I would say, put this in your little bag of secret weapons this year. When, 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 when the devil sends things against you, flip and go after it. Yeah, devil, is that the best you got? Lion and a bear? Puh. Right. So, knock it down and rescue the lamb. <laughs> if it turned on me, not the lamb, <laughs> just, just so you know, the lion or the bear. Happened to me once too, by the way. I'll save that story for another day. Uh, a bear, not a lion. Uh, I grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of God alive. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear. Preparation precedes promotion. Will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said, well, good luck. And then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in his armor and put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. He took it all off. Just a little insertion there. Don't compare yourself with other people. Comparison kills contentment. I've said that time and again. Fight the battles in the armor that God's made to fit you because that's how you're going to best do it. But what we're about to see is another tactic of the devil. He accuses, he belittles, 
But he's actually, he's actually very, very activistic. Kind of reminds me of me. Just the activistic part, not the evil trying to rule the world, but uh, he provokes. He actually doesn't stay in his lane. He actually wants to move over into your lane and get in your grill about stuff. And so the writer records this point in history and saying, as the Philistine, Goliath, paced back and forth his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered. <laughs> A mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. Hadn't even had his first shave yet. <laughs> the Philistine riddle killed David. Am I a dog that you'd come after me with a stick? They cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a nasty, into a tasty morsel for the field mice. Now, I'm going to land this message very, very shortly, but I don't want you to miss the tension in this moment. Goliath is now coming after David. David stood in front of the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, the only one who had the kahunis to do so, grew up, grew up here with his peach fuzz and stood out in the front. And Goliath, instead of waiting for David to come to him, started provoking him and, and, and threatening him and say, even if you don't change a thing, I'm going to come after you. So don't think that, that, that you're just going to batten down the hatches in 2015 and overcome defeat because the devil is not going to leave you alone. He's going to come after you. He's going to come looking for you. Well, I should be safe if I just sit here in my comfort zone. Uh-uh. It's not his comfort zone. And I don't care if it's your comfort zone. In fact, probably you're a bit more of an easy target if all you're going to do is sit in your comfort zone. Hope is not a strategy. Oh, that's pretty nice. I know what that is this week. But this is a high stakes moment. Actually, this wasn't a moment about David versus Goliath. It wasn't even a moment about the nation of, of, of Israel versus the nation of Philistia. This was a moment about the glory of God versus anybody who would dare try to come against the glory of God. You don't get a more high stakes moment than that. And somehow, for some reason, God had positioned David in this, in this moment of representative combat. The most unlikely, undrafted, didn't even go through boot camp guy. Well, he did go through boot camp out in the, in, in the field, but no one knew that. Certainly not Goliath. Goliath starts provoking him. The devil will accuse. The devil will belittle. The devil will provoke. God was relying on a teenage shepherd to protect his glory. It seems like an incredible mismatch, right? To everybody, even us right now. But was David really the underdog? Have you ever thought about that? Was he really the underdog? And you know what? Let me tell you. The answer is, of course he wasn't the underdog. We all know that. Us plus God, we're always the majority. So of course... David plus God, it's just simple maths. David plus God was never the underdog. In fact, Goliath was the underdog because David plus God equals the majority. Yeah, uh, let me tell you this. I don't think David plus God equaled the majority. I don't think you plus God is going to be the only thing you need to defeat the things that the devil's going to bring against you. That was provocative. I don't think that you plus God 
is enough. Oh, I can't believe I'm even saying this stuff. Because the whole army of Israel, if it was just about simple math, just one of them should have been enough to defeat Goliath because it was one of them plus God, let alone the whole fully trained, conscripted crack army plus God versus one Philistine. Should have been enough. Seemingly wasn't. So I want to put it to you that even with God on your side, you might not fulfill your destiny. You might not have enough to ensure you win the battle because you've got God on your side. Have I got anybody's attention right now? Does anybody think that I'm still going to be paid to lead a church come uh, Monday morning after this statement? Well, let me tell you. So back in history... In this point in time, when it came to armies, there was three kinds of, uh, of, of soldiers in the army. There was uh, horsemen, cavalry. There was artillery, uh, archers, and uh, uh, they didn't use like the, the, the slingshot like that. They had this kind of thing going like this and would, would release the rock. So there was there were the artillery, the, the archers and the slingers. And then there was uh, infantrymen, up-close battle, swords, and spears. Now, Goliath was an infantryman. Swords and spears, all about up close combat, and obviously pretty good at it. Still alive, it's got to count for something. Uh, David was a slinger, he was an artilleryman. So here we have the infantry representative versus the artillery representative. Sydney 2000, we just saw Kathy Freeman cross the line for her 400 meters gold medal. Again, I never get sick of watching that. And uh, in that same Olympics, Sydney Olympics, the, the, the finish of the, tr- of the track and field program is always the relays. And uh, this particular uh, year, there was time in the, in the calendar, in the schedule for the women's four by 100 meter relay. And uh, in the heats leading up to the relay, you know, only the fastest eight uh, nations qualify for the relay final. The, the, the overwhelming favorite by virtue of how, how much faster they were than every other team was the U.S. women's relay team. They were the best positioned, best prepared, most gifted, ready to kill it. Had done it in the heats. Uh, you know, they'd almost handed the gold medals to them before the, the starting gun had even gone off. That was how much of a no-brainer it was. Well, coming around the back straight on the changeover from third to fourth when they were in first position and, you know, obviously just it's a done deal. Uh, they fumbled the baton. Didn't drop it, but they fumbled it. And they went from gold medal position and ended up with the bronze position. Wow, that was hard to watch. And uh, 2004, Athens Olympics, time for retribution. Once again, the U.S. women's 4x100 relay team had qualified fastest for the finals, overwhelming favorites. Once again, only this time when it came to the baton changeover, they did it outside of the, the changeover zone and were immediately disqualified and didn't receive any medal. They were the most gifted, best prepared, ready to accomplish their assignment, and yet they didn't even make it over the finish line. Thankfully, in 2008, the Beijing Olympics came around. Once again, the U.S. women's 4x100 relay team, most gifted, most accomplished, 
shoe in for the, for the gold, qualify for the finals faster than any of the other teams. Only this time they did drop the baton in one of the changeovers. And I want you to write these three words down. Somewhere very prominent this year. Your approach matters. So you can love God but live defeated because of your approach. Not because of a lack of God's willingness. Not because of a lack of anointing. Not because of a lack, lack of giftedness. Not because of a lack of passion. But because of the wrong approach. You can love God but be in debt because you spend more than you earn. Your approach matters. You can love God, but have health issues because you still eat like a teenager. Your approach matters. You can love God, but burn through relationships like redhead matches. Because you haven't taken the time to develop your relationship skills and go through counseling and read great books about relationships. Your approach matters. Loving God isn't enough if we take the wrong approach. You with me now? Oh, well, this is the way I've always done it. Yeah, great. But if you want to change the results you're getting, you better change the way you've always done it. And the higher the stakes, the more your approach matters. And this is a high stakes moment for David. Let me land this now. David answered, Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. Mate, I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies and the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock. Now, David's reminding him that David plus God is the majority. But even at that moment in time, Goliath's still not defeated. Something else still has to happen. Something else matters. This very day, God's handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head, serve up your body and the, body, and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. Goliath had just told David he's going to do that to him. He's like, no, nah, mate, I'm going to do it to you. And not just you, everyone. <laughs> Love it. God is the God of follow through. Yes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in heaven. I talked about this last week. There's a difference between an incentive. Incentive, uh, marry Saul's daughter and live tax free. David's like, I've still got peach fuzz on my face. I'm not even interested in girls yet. And I don't pay taxes. I live at home. Incentive wasn't, wasn't the deal for him. But the motive was what mattered. I want the whole world to know there's an extraordinary God. See, it's one of the differences between us saying that we want to be people who actually uh, experience breakthrough in our New Year's resolutions. It's not just so that, that we can walk around looking good naked and, you know, having more money in our bank account. It's that we can actually glorify God, that there's something different about us. There's something extraordinary about us, but not that we take the glory, not that we take the credit, but that God gets the credit. Man, you really have changed. Wow. What's different about you? Well, my approach for one thing. Wow. 
like to hear more. Well, let's go for coffee. Let me tell you about this extraordinary God who's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of a sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing over, handing you uh, to us on a platter that roused the Philistine. And he started towards David. Now, remember, Saul is an infantryman, sword and spear. David's an artillery guy, slinger. Not swinger, that means something very different. Slinger. David, so, so, so now Goliath's running towards David. David took off from the front line, running towards Philistine, running towards Goliath. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt, and that's how David beat the Philistine with a sling and a stone. If you didn't already get it, I know you did because you're all pretty smart, but your approach matters. David ran towards the Philistine, ran towards his enemy, and stopped at a particular point. If David had to try to take on Goliath, the infantryman, close up, that's not how the story would have ended. Your approach matters. What is it that you need to defeat this year? That's the very, you know, it's a very important question. But your approach matters. David didn't try to stab Goliath up close. He went, boom, done. Your approach matters. There you go, Colleen. I know you're waiting for that because you yelled out to me that you're waiting for that. Crikey. Used to be a time when the Bible said that women meant to be silent in the church. I said used to be. I'm one of the people that flipped that switch. Hey, let me just do one more thing before I hand over to Pete and then unleash you on the coffee. Um, Brett, was that you? Please punch yourself in the face. Um, I want to do one more thing, and that's to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus if you've never made that decision before. It sounds like a kind of a big, bit of a direction shift from the message, and, and I get it. But your approach matters when it comes to who Jesus is more than anything else matters in your life about whether or not you're willing to believe that he actually is who he says he is. That when he came to earth 2,000 years ago, that he actually claimed to be the son of God. That he actually promised that he would actually die on a cross in, 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 instead of us, would take our sins, the things that separate us from God, would actually take them with him, this kind of divine exchange. And... Uh, what he says to us is that our response matters. Our approach matters. Will we believe that he is who he says he is? Will we believe that he died in our place? Will we believe that if we put our faith in him, that we can have a relationship with God? I want to ask you that question this, this morning as we finish. What's your answer to the question? Jesus, are you the son of God? Yes or no. Did you come and die in my place? Yes or no. Am I willing to put my faith in you? Yes or no. Your approach matters. This is a high stakes moment, if ever there was one. 
And for those of you that have never said yes to those questions, we want to give you that opportunity right now to say yes. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, the Son of God. Yes, I believe you died in my place. And yes, I'm willing right in this very moment to change my approach and to put my faith and trust in you. For those of you that need to say yes to those things this morning, I want you in a moment just to put your hand up. And by putting your hand up, you're just symbolizing to God, hey, God, I'm saying yes to that. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So really quickly, just as I look across our auditorium, for those of you that need to say yes to Jesus this morning, just slip your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we'll just quickly pray. I don't want to miss anybody. Fantastic. Who else? Just quickly slip your hand up. Once I see your hand, you can put it down. Let's pray. How about you say this prayer after me? Repeat these words. Dear Jesus, okay, let's start that one again. Not only did no one just die, someone just came to life. So, how about we try praying with a bit of passion, shall we? Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. I declare that you are the Son of God. I acknowledge that you died in my place. I thank you that you forgive me. I thank you that you give me a brand new start. I commit to follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. How about we give it up for that person that lifted their hand? Brilliant. Well done.